0: Here's Anne Graham Lotz with a reminder of the work of the Holy Spirit from today's message on Living in the Light. The Holy Spirit, if you open up your heart and let Him, ask Him, what is the sin in my life that needs to be dealt with? What do I need to bring to the cross and confess? Welcome to Living in the Light. This week Bible teacher Ann Graham-Lotz speaks from John chapter 16 where the Apostle points out one of the names of the Holy Spirit, Spirit of Truth. Here's Ann with today's message. Let me remind you of his precepts. In verse 13 and chapter 16 he's called the Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling or an emotion or an ecstatic experience. He is the spirit of truth. And he wrote through human authors this book, Every Word is Inspired by the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something. He is the spirit of truth. He does not lie. He does not make mistakes. He does not record myths. From Genesis to Revelation, the book that he inspired is the truth. And to say that the Bible holds errors or myths or is not true is the slur, the integrity of the spirit of truth. So what's your view of scripture? Nail it down. How can you be teaching it, promoting it, if you don't believe it yourself? And it just is an act of faith on my part. I believe because this is God's word. I believe because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's true. I can't answer all of your questions about it. I don't understand it all, but I believe it's true. And when I get to heaven, if I find out instead of 200,000 people killed in some battle, it was just 20,000 because somewhere along the line a zero was added, I don't care. (laughs) But if I get to heaven and find out I picked and chose my way through scripture because I couldn't believe Jonah was swallowed by a fish and I couldn't believe a snake would talk and I can't believe, you know, Noah would get all those animals and and I pick and choose and I find out it was all true. And I was discarding things that were the truth that had tremendous meaning for my life. And then I sowed doubt in the minds of other people. God forbid that would ever happen. So I put my faith in God's word and I've taught it. Not every single part of it, but I've taught it enough and I've taught it long enough and I've applied it to my life and I've lived by it. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean in my life? Applying it, living it out. And I can tell you, I know by experience that it's true. It works. So just decide. Your view of scripture. Put your faith in it. It's God's word. He's the spirit of truth. He doesn't lie. You can trust him. You can take him at his word. That reminds you of his purity. This is also so obvious that we miss it sometimes. But he is in chapter 14 verse 26. He is the Holy Spirit. He is completely separate from sin. In, in the Holy Spirit there is no meanness. There is no unkindness. There's no rudeness, there's no selfishness, there's no bitterness, there's no unforgiveness, there's no jealousy, all the petty sins, pridefulness, there's no sinfulness at all. And when he comes into my life, and when he comes into your life, you'll look around, (laughs) then he'll begin to separate you from sin, he'll begin to convict you of sin, so when you gossip and you're just having fun, but you're stealing somebody's reputation and he's going to give you that prick. There's a conviction. There's a, mm, you just feel nasty inside or that white lie. And it was just a little white lie, you know, but, and it sounded good and you exaggerated and it made the story better. But you get back and you think, mm, that wasn't a complete truth or you lose your temper. And boy, that person deserved to have you give them a piece of your mind. But you think, I could have handled that differently. It's a pain almost, like a spiritual pain. And I'll tell you what, keep short accounts. You keep coming to the cross, confess your sin, because if you don't, you lose that pain. You become accustomed to the pain. And you begin to get anesthetized to it, and you're harder for the Holy Spirit to convict. We were talking about it at lunch today, because this past week with my leaders, we had a time of confession and repentance, and it was eye-opening for all of us. Women in ministry, leaders, women's directors, done tremendous, phenomenal, miraculous things and yet found after our session together that God was convicting them of not just one but multiple sins and we had a time of confession and repentance and, and I've discovered in my own life an experience I had about four years ago when uh, I was preparing messages and the Lord said he didn't want to work on the messages, he wanted to work on me and for seven days he took me through the cleaners, (laughs) and convicted me of sin after sin I didn't know was in my life. And I was so ashamed and wept. Every time I opened my Bible, there'd be another verse to convict me of something else. And finally, he gave me after seven days. He spoke to me and told me he was finished. And I just asked him, please, to get it all. You know, I just didn't want him to miss a thing. Mm. then I had three days to prepare for all that I had to do down here. And God gave it to me. And the people here that I spoke to didn't know what I'd been through. But it was um, like Isaiah's experience in Isaiah 6 when I saw the Lord and then I saw myself. And the Holy Spirit will come in and begin to show you the sin. If you open up your heart and let him, ask him, what is the sin in my life? that needs to be dealt with. What do I need to bring to the cross and confess to you? I'll tell you what, and I'll digress for a moment, but this past week we were in Joshua. And after Joshua defeated Jericho, the walls came down, they went to Ai. He sent a few troops up there. If we could take Jericho, we can take Ai. And the Israelites were defeated. Do you remember? Thirty-six Israelites killed. They come back and tell Joshua, and he gets on his face, and he says, God, have you brought us into the promised land just to suffer defeat at the hands of the enemy? And God says, Joshua, get up off your face. It's not a time to pray. It's a time to repent of your sin. There is sin in the camp. And Joshua went throughout the camp of Israel. He found one man named Achan who took something God said he couldn't have, and he had buried it under his tent. And Joshua had to take that man and his family, put him outside. Actually, he took him outside the camp and stoned them to death. And it's a picture of you and me having sin in our hearts, sin within the church, buried down deep, nobody knows it's there. And it's time we took it and crucified it. put it to death. Because I'll tell you what, the problem in our society today is not them. It's not the political situation. It's not the health care, It's not the increase in taxes. It's not the deficit, it's not the budget. The problem today in our society is sin in the church, in the hearts of God's people. We are not who God has called us to be. And the, the light that we're supposed to be is hidden under a bushel. The light is dimmed. The trumpet is giving an uncertain sound. The salt is lost its savor because we're immersed in our sin. there's sin in the camp. So if there is sin in your heart, buried down deep, nobody knows how bitter you are. Nobody knows what you look at on the computer when nobody else is there. Nobody knows the way you've lied. Nobody knows the way you've hurt somebody. You know, I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, God knows. And it will render you a defeated Christian life. Let me tell you, sin in your camp, buried down deep. I don't care how deep down it went, how far back it went. Maybe it goes back to your childhood. Maybe the person that you're having a problem with is dead. But you need to bring that sin to the cross, confess it, and crucify it. And if it's unforgiveness, that's a hard one, isn't it? But I'll tell you, you don't want to forgive them because they don't deserve it. But God forgave you and you didn't deserve it. So we forgive other people, not because they deserve it, but because it's an act of worship. We do it because God forgave us for Jesus' sake. Therefore, God, in worship of you, I'll forgive that person who doesn't deserve it. And God keeps the books. He's going to hold them accountable. You don't have to. And what happens is you set yourself free. (laughs) Just release the sin. He is holy. Be ye holy as I am holy, says the Lord. That's a command. So in us, there should be no meanness, no unkindness, no selfishness, no bitterness, no unforgiveness, no pridefulness, no jealousy, no little nagging tongue, critical spirit, self-righteousness, you know, all those things. So we need to be prayed for, don't we? And that's something else the Holy Spirit does. He's praying for you. Romans 8.26 says that He prays for you without words. He lives in your heart. He's ever before the throne. He can transfer your prayers and your needs and your worries and your concerns right before the Father. You have a prayer partner? You do now. (laughs) Praying for you. And not only praying for you, but praying for you with a heart of love. It's when I first did a study on the Holy Spirit, I came across this. And I hadn't realized this before. But where Ephesians says, do not grieve for the Holy Spirit. And it struck me. In fact, one of you shared today that your mother has recently moved to our father's house. And I went through that experience. Still grieve for my mother. And you know why? Because I love my mother. You don't grieve for someone you don't love. So when it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, it just, it's like the lights went on. I thought, the Holy Spirit loves me. I didn't know that. I thought when I invited Jesus to come into my heart and God said, there's little Ann Graham, that little girl right there. And she's asked Jesus in her heart, so Holy Spirit, you go live in her. And I was his assignment, you know, like he just had to come live in me and was stuck there until I saw Jesus face to face or however it works. And, (laughs) and I didn't know. That he wanted to come into my heart. That he loved me. That when I do the right thing, he rejoices. And when I do the wrong thing, he grieves. Because he's emotionally caught up in my life. The Holy Spirit loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He's come into your heart to conform you to the image of Jesus. To help you get answers to prayer. To give you power. To live the Christian life. To tell you the truth. And lastly, his priority. Oh, I love it because he has no hidden agenda. It's just right out there. Verse 14, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Listen to me. Holy Spirit has one agenda, one priority, and it's the word of God. The written word of God and the living word of God. And the Holy Spirit inspired this book and wrote every word so that it's true, and I know it came through human authors, but inspired, authored by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of revealing God to you in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit takes the things of God and the things on the pages of our scripture, and he shows us Jesus. He reveals Jesus. Jesus is his priority. Jesus is his agenda. When I was a little girl... My mother, I guess, had too many of us running around. And when I was young, we lived right across the street from my grandmother. So when one of us got very sick, my mother would ship us off to my grandmother. I'm so glad my daughter doesn't do that with our three granddaughters. (laughs) (laughs) When they're sick, I stay away, you know. (laughs) But when we were sick, we'd go over to my grandmother. I can remember getting on my nightgown, putting my pillow under my arm, skipping across the creek, going to my grandmother's, and she would take care of us. And my grandmother always had a jigsaw puzzle going. You know, it was like a piece of cardboard, and on it was pasted a picture, and then somebody cut it up in all these little shapes, and they'd be all jumbled. And she would show how to turn the puzzle pieces over, so you saw that little bit of a picture on the the side of the puzzle piece. And then she put the picture that was on the box, and when you put the puzzle pieces together to replicate the picture on the box, you solved the puzzle. You know what I'm talking about? People don't do those anymore. I don't think I've done one since I was a little girl. They take too much time, but... A lot of people think the Bible is like a jigsaw puzzle. All these funny little shapes and sizes, and they don't quite know how they fit. But it's the Holy Spirit who takes the puzzle pieces, puts them together, turns them over, and shows us the picture of the man on the other side. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. So let me try to do this. Genesis chapter 1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. Verse 3, and God said, and his word went forth. And so we just think that's nouns and pronouns going out of the mouth of God until you come to John 1. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh. And the Holy Spirit takes that puzzle piece and turns it over. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, we see Jesus, the living Word of God, going forth, creating everything. Nothing was made that wasn't made by Him, Colossians says. Chapter 2, we have the Lord God planting the garden eastward in Eden. Picture of the pre-incarnate Son of God, the first homemaker. The Holy Spirit turns that puzzle piece over and we see him preparing a place for his children. Still preparing a place for his children, actually. And then we see in chapter 2, when he formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, breathed his own life into him, and Adam became a living being, and turned the puzzle piece over and we find that our very breath comes from Jesus. Chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, They were so ashamed they covered themselves in fig leaves and they went and hid in the bushes. And here comes the Lord God in the cool of the evening and the Holy Spirit turns a puzzle piece over and we find Jesus looking for his children, not wanting to leave them in their sin and their shame and their guilt, searching for them, bringing them out, making them confess what they'd done. And then he had to pass judgment, but before he barred them from his presence and they were separated because of their sin, He killed an animal and clothed them in the skin. And you wonder if the tears were coming down his face because he knew this animal couldn't cover them in their sin and guilt. But one day there would come the Lamb of God who would shed his own blood to cover them for all time. Then we can go on. Chapter 4, we hear him talking to Cain. Chapter 5, he's walking with Enoch. Chapter 6, he's walking with Noah. Next time we get a good look at him, it's Genesis chapter 18, In chapter 18, Abraham has been walking with God, following him for 24 years. And three men show up at his tent in the heat of the day. And one of them says, Abraham, I'm going to come back and visit you next year. And you and Sarah are going to have a son. the Holy Spirit turns a puzzle piece over and we see Jesus telling Abraham he's going to have a baby. And a year later, Abraham and Sarah, at 190 years of age, had a baby. And then we go on and we find Jacob, Abraham's grandson, in exile for 20 years, coming back to Canaan to claim what he believed God had promised him, to claim his birthright and come into all the promises of God and the blessings of God. And he was doing it in his own strength. So he reaches to grab it, across the Jabbok River, and he finds himself wrestling with a man all night. I don't know when Jacob knew he had himself in God's grip, but... He wouldn't stop wrestling. And finally, the man, the pre-incarnate Son of God, Holy Spirit, turning the puzzle piece open. That's Jesus, refusing to let Jacob seize the blessings of God in his own strength and power. And he just breaks him. Jacob clings to him and says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And God changes his name. But Jacob yielding fully to the man in the river. And we keep on going. You can find him throughout we come to him at Jericho. Joshua goes out to look at the great enemy's stronghold and try to figure out how they're going to take it. And he's confronted by a man with a drawn sword, captain of the Lord's host, the captain of all the invisible armies of heaven. And Joshua says, who are you? And he says, listen to me, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. The great I am of the burning bush, pre-incarnate son of God. And the Holy Spirit turns puzzle piece over and we find Jesus right there to help Joshua take that stronghold. And you just keep on going. In Elijah's life, that poor weary prophet after Jezebel had threatened his life and he ran for his life and he was so afraid and the angel of the Lord, that's the pre-incarnate son of God and the Holy Spirit turns puzzle piece over and we find Jesus fixing breakfast for Elijah because Jesus cares about his weary prophets. We find him when the three Hebrew children are told to bow down to the image of gold, and they said, we're not going to bow down. They said, well, if you don't, you're going to be thrown to the fiery furnace, and said, that may be. Our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. So they got thrown into the fiery furnace, and then Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> looks, and he says, didn't we throw three in there? Why do I see four? And the fourth is like the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit turns over the puzzle piece, and we find Jesus in the fire with his children. And Isaiah, the year that King Uzziah died, he looks up and he sees the Lord seated on the throne. In charge, in control, the whole universe singing his praises. Holy, holy, holy. And the Holy Spirit turns a puzzle piece over and that's Jesus. Isaiah described him as the lamb who would be slain, by whose stripes would be healed. The wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And puzzle pieces keep turning over. And you go on through until that starry night in Bethlehem when the shepherds hear the announcements. God has been born. And they run into the stables and we run with them and we come into the stable and there in the manger is a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and we find ourselves looking into the face of God. Holy Spirit turns the puzzle piece over, and we see the Creator who has become creation (laughs) to be our Savior, growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, showing us what God is like. Oh, and He understands, doesn't He, firsthand, what it's like to be weary and what it's like to have so many pressures, to be thirsty, to be tired. To have people set against you. To have all those blank faces. They just don't get it, you know. Until the age of 33. He smashed himself on a Roman cross. Listen to me. Nobody killed Jesus. He wasn't murdered. He's the Lord of life. He's the giver of life. He's the resurrection of the life. At the moment that was in the fullness of God's time, he just refused to take the next breath. Jesus gave his life and the Holy Spirit turns over the puzzle piece and we see the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world for me, shedding his blood to take away my sin because it's the only way I could be forgiven, the only way I could be reconciled to the Father, the only way I could go to heaven when I die. He had to die. And I see him as a necessary sacrifice for me. And I see him buried in a barred tomb. And then the Holy Spirit turns over the puzzle piece and I see him risen from the dead and ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father with all authority placed under his feet, ever living to make intercession for you and me, praying for us right now until the Holy Spirit turns over that ultimate puzzle piece and we see the sky unfold and a white horse appear whose rider's name is Faithful and True followed by the armies of heaven, coming back to reign and rule. And the puzzle piece is turned over and we see him as Lord of lords and king of kings, ruling the world in righteousness and justice. And that's the end of the story, isn't it? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. And listen to me. It's the Holy Spirit that tells us that's the truth. It's the Holy Spirit that lets us know it's Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is his priority. He's written us this book that we might know Jesus. And then he makes it real to us and it comes up off the page. And we see Jesus and we know Jesus and we love Jesus and we serve Jesus. And one day we're going to see him face to face. And it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility in us to get us from here to there. (laughs) So let me ask you, what's your priority? Really, if it's anything other than Jesus, you might want to re-examine it. You get people into the Word, and your priority can be the Word of God, but the purpose is to get them to Jesus. Your priority can be a preacher of the gospel, but your purpose is to get them to Jesus. Maybe your priority is prayer, and God called you to pray, and you spend a lot. But your priority is to pray people to Jesus. And I know we do many things in service. Praise God for all the people that help me do what I do. But our priority is Jesus. We do it for him. To bring people to him. We want to grow into his likeness. So, praise God for the dear Holy Spirit. Isn't he wonderful? We couldn't do this without him. We wouldn't know Jesus without him. Not really. You could know him as a character in a book, but you wouldn't know him. You could never live for Him. You could never serve Him. You could never lead anybody else to Jesus. So, what are you worried about? Whatever it is, would you just lay it down? And instead of worrying, would you just rely completely on the person of the Holy Spirit? You can think back over some of the things we have described Him as. He's a person. He has a presence available to come into you. His precepts, this is the truth. He is pure. He's praying for you. He's powerful. And his priority is Jesus. So would you just surrender your life to the control, moment by moment, to the Holy Spirit. Now here's Anne with this final word. It's been said that the Holy Spirit is the best-kept secret in the Church. After our last several messages, He should no longer be a secret to you. My prayer is that the eyes of your heart have been opened to who He is to you and that you will respond by yielding your heart, mind, spirit, and body without any reservation to His loving authority. And just who is the Holy Spirit? He is Jesus living inside of you. You can hear Living in the Light with Ann Graham Lotz weekly. And for ways to experience the God-filled life as you pursue your personal Bible study, go to anngramlotz.org. She'll help you get started with free resources you can use and share with others. Join us here each week for Living in the Light.